0: A few years back, a sociologist from the University of Notre Dame put together a national research project aimed at finding out how most people think about God. He put together a large research team. They conducted thousands of interviews, really aiming at how do most of us think about God when we try to envision what God is like. They narrowed their search around one question, what does God expect of us? Uh, the book is, that came out of the project is filled with quotes that uh, are telling. One very representative response from a 17-year-old student from Indiana who described himself as deeply religious and committed to his faith. Here's how he described what God expects of us. And this is a quote, a direct quote. Um, and yes, he started with um, Um, I think if you're a good person and like, you know, you don't break any huge... If you live your life around the basic structure, you know. I mean, nobody's perfect, so you're going to do bad things. But like the whole Ten Commandments and stuff, uh, pretty much a good person. Then when you're judged, you get to have another life. If you ask for forgiveness and pray a lot, you have a pretty good chance. Just because, you know, the whole God thing, forgiving, you know. Period, end of quote. (laughs) Now, before we start feeling superior to 17-year-olds from Indiana, at the end of the book, the researchers offer the following conclusion. Most of us, whether adults or kids, tend to have a vision of God that's not much different from the one that I just read. Maybe adults are more uh, savvy at hiding the way they really think about God. But for most of us, God is sort of far away and basically hoping that we don't do anything too bad and then expecting us at the end of everything to sincerely ask for forgiveness. And then since it's his job to forgive us, everything will be fine and stuff. And what we've tried to do together here at Renaissance, if you've been here for the past five weeks, you've seen it, It's to try to put right beside the images that are in our own minds about what God is like, the pictures that Jesus painted of what God is like. We've seen together that according to Jesus, God is welcoming in a way that we could never even imagine. So gracious and open in his welcome, That God is merciful through and through. That if you're looking for mercy, you've got it in God, no questions asked. That God is ready to forgive and he is generous and he is compassionate. And all of these things are true about what God is like. And this morning, one more picture which Jesus painted to tie them all together around the question of what does God actually expect of us? If we're going to see his welcome and his forgiveness, his mercy, his compassion and his generosity, what are we supposed to do with it? And I want to bring this up at the end because I believe without testing what is in our minds, without really saying how do we expect God at the end of things to to invite us into his presence and what does he want from us, chances are that, well, what we come up with won't look too different from this 17-year-old in Indiana. You know, the forgiving God and stuff. Jesus' vision of what God expects of us is beautiful. Beautiful. It's so inspiring and powerful. It's rooted in this twin truth. On the one hand, it's rooted in the idea that the world is so desperately in need of people who come into the trouble that they find out there with power and light, with knowledge and wisdom, with grace that can overcome hate, with love that is stronger than all of that misery out there. That's on the one side. And then on the other side in Jesus' picture is a claim about you personally, every one of you, which which basically amounts to this, that no matter how young you are or how old you are, that God has given you amazing resources to be at work with. And if you personally, if you will only put them to work, if we all together as a church will be a church that decides to be hard at work in God's kingdom, the outcome we can expect is magnificent, not for us, first of all, but for God and God's good purposes in the world. That's what we'll see this morning as we look together at one more story which Jesus told. In the Gospel of Matthew, at the end of that book, in Matthew 25, at the end of Jesus' teaching, we have a a parable, a story that has a a significant meaning presented by Jesus uh, under the heading The Parable of the Talents. Uh, Some of you, this will be new for you this morning. I'm thankful that you get to hear this this morning. Um, For others, you have been in church for a long time and you already know where this is going. Trust me, open your minds and your heart to hear again. If you're a skeptic and someone dragged you to church, just be willing uh, for the possibility that maybe something new would come to you this morning because this story is about you and it's about God and it's about this world. and And it shows us what God expects So here, let's get into it. In verse 14 of chapter 25 in Matthew, here's how Jesus begins his story. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. And then he went away. There's a man who has considerable resources, a landowner. He has lots of property. And he has to go away, and so he summons his slaves to him to entrust uh, his property uh, to their care while he's gone. We hear the word slave and we think of something different than Jesus meant in his story. In Jesus' day, it was very common for a man to hire himself out to a wealthy landowner uh, and to make an agreement, a business transaction, where he would take care of some of what that man had and in that way earn a good living for himself and for his family. In Jesus' story, this landowner is on his way uh, far away and he summons these servants and he gives them one, two and five talents. The word talent in Greek is the largest denomination of money that a person can use in a story. Uh, A man has to work 15 years to earn one talent. And so in Jesus' story, one of the servants is given 75 years worth of earnings to work with, five talents. Another is given only two, which sounds like, Uh, Only a little, but that's 30 years of income to work with. And then the, 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 the third, who we think is, well, he has nothing to work with, just one talent. He has 15 years worth of money to work with while his master is gone. Each one has been entrusted with considerable resources. And they're called talents. And when we hear that, of course, we think of something other than a large sum of money, right? Because in our language, the word talent means a skill, or an ability. And it just so happens that the way we got our English word talent is from this story. Because in Greek, a lot of money means potential, just as in our time, a lot of skill and ability means potential, right? If you're really good at something, well, you can get somewhere. Isn't that how it works? Of course, that's only true depending on what you do with your skill or ability. Right? Think about this for a minute. If you're a great singer, but the only place you ever sing is in the shower, no one will ever know, and you'll never get anywhere. Right? And it's just the same in Jesus' story with the money that's been given. And I want you to think critically about this. We may think that having 75 years worth of money, that that means you have a lot, right? But what good is money if you don't put it to work? Right? It's just paper or coins, right? Depending on where you find yourself. And so it is in Jesus' story. And he begins this teaching with his disciples, showing a master giving servants a lot to work with for a reason. Because listen now, here Jesus is painting a picture into which he's placed all of the disciples who are listening to him in the beginning of his story. Uh, You know that Jesus at the end of his life, ends up going away, right? If you know the stories of Jesus well, you know that it ends for him on the cross and the disciples all see that happening. That's just, this is the last chapter in which Jesus is teaching Matthew 25. And so guess who the master who's going away is in Jesus' story. Any guesses? Of course, it's Jesus is showing these disciples who he is and he's also showing them who they are and who they are, please listen, even though they each have different talents, they all have been given a lot to work with by Jesus himself. That's what Jesus wants them to know. And here, if we step aside from the story, I can say this about you. I can say it to those of you who I know well, and I can say it to those of you who are strangers to me. All of you have been given by God a lot to work with. It's implicit in Jesus' story here that even the least talented among us Okay, and that's, let's not ask for a show of hands. <laughs> but even the least talented among us is like a person who has 15 years worth of capital to work with. And, and this implicit message in Jesus' story here becomes explicit other places in the New Testament. Uh, when Jesus' other followers, Paul, for instance, does this, when they talk about the way that God has decided to make all people, every single man and woman has been given by Jesus himself gifts to work with in the world. That's how Jesus has decided to do it. In Ephesians, this is a letter that Paul wrote. If you're a person who goes off after time like this to read the New Testament, read Ephesians chapter 4 with this thought in mind. You will find there a clear declaration about you personally. It is that every single man and woman has been given gifts by Jesus for the upbuilding of God's body in the world. If you flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is another letter which Paul wrote. There you'll see the image of a body used to describe a gathering of people like this, a church, and their Paul will say, every person who's been gathered together has been given a unique gift by God. Some of us are like eyes to see well. Some of us have ears that are good at hearing. Some of us are like hands that are ready to do hard work. Some of us are like feet that are ready to move the church from this place to that. But the prevailing message about you in the New Testament is that if you're a person who's ready to come and listen and trust Jesus, no matter how young you are or how old you are, you are someone who's been given gifts by God. And gifts mean potential. Potential like 15 years or maybe 75 years worth of income. Every one of you has some gift like that. And the truth about those gifts, just like the truth about skills and abilities, is that they only mean something when they're put to work. And so everything comes down to what you choose to do with what you've got. Now, that line right there is for you individually. Uh, Whether you're a person who has come to faith or not, it's true. What happens in your life comes down to what you choose to do with what you've got. Uh, Whether you're a person who's um, here and not sure that Renaissance Church is the place for you, but here you are on this Sunday, it's true for you. That what God has given you represents enormous potential. And everything comes down to what you choose to do with it. And then lastly, this is very critical for me as your pastor, those of you who are here at Renaissance Church, For us as a church, everything will come down to what we choose to do with what God has entrusted us with. And and here's the question. Are we ready to see that God expects us to be hard at work with what he's trusted us with? That's the big question. And Jesus has this in mind when he looks at his first listeners and tells this story the first time. And so what he does is after picturing the master entrusting these servants with a lot, is he shows two different ways of working with what God has given This is verse 16. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. That's one way right there. That's one way to work with what's been given. Both of them the same way. Okay, we'll spend time in the details in a minute. Here's a second way. This is in verse 18, but the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. that's the second way. I want to dwell on these details for a few minutes so we get with real clarity what Jesus wants to show those disciples then and all of us together here now. The first two. Okay, let's look at the, the man who'd been given five talents. The first servant he behaves in a very particular way w- with what he's been given that is captured by the verbs that jesus uses in his story the first of which is went off after receiving th- this 75 years worth of capital he he goes off and in greek which is a much richer language than our english language is in greek the verb here is poreo which means in effect to set something in motion with a definite purpose in mind. Poreo in in the gospel of Matthew is a a mission word. And if you hear the word mission and think of something churchy, there wasn't a church to be churchy around yet when Jesus told this. So put that out of your mind and picture a verb went off as someone who's got a real mission. He's got an, an idea in his mind and he knows what he wants to see happen. And so he goes out, very tenacious and purposeful toward that particular goal in his mind. And in this man's case, his mission with all of this money leads him right into the marketplace. And here's the second verb that teaches us what he does. He went off there in order to be around people so he could trade with what he had been given. And I know that here, so close to New York City, many of you know Uh, infinitely more about the world of finance and uh, trading than this poor little pastor does, all right? But I'm gonna try it anyway, okay? When you have money and you trade with it, it means you let it go. You put it into this market where now there is considerable risk, right? Because even the best investment, you're not sure what's going to happen, but that's how it works, right? In order to get a good return, you have to take a risk. And this disciple takes what has been trusted and goes out on purpose to where there are lots of people out in the world where there's challenge and difficulty and risk and he puts the money to work in a way that he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen with it. And then the third thing in Jesus' story is that after he went out and he traded with it, he made five more. Wow, that's good ROI, isn't it? Return on investment, that's 100%. I had to look that up on Wikipedia. But he gets a 100% return and, and, and that's good, isn't it? That's really good return. He went off with what he'd been uh, trusted with. He took a real risk and the return was great, 100%. The second servant who's only received two does exactly the same thing. He goes out, he takes a real big risk and, and the return is 100%. That is one way. And then there's a second way in Jesus' story. The third servant receives one talent. Please, again, one sounds like a measly number 15 years of income. And his strategy is captured also in the three verbs. He went off, he dug a hole, and he hid the money. Now that first one went off, that sounds in English, it is, like the same as the first person, right, went off, but in Greek it's a different verb, it's not poreo. it is instead the verb apelthon. whereas the first servant's actions reflect the kind of purposeful motion toward other people, epelthon is the kind of going out that maybe would be better captured with the word, he retreated. He didn't go toward people, he went away from them and he had to go away from them. For his plan to work, nobody could see what he was going to do with the money. That was the only way for him to protect it. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid it because in the day in which Jesus was telling this story, rabbinic law said that the safest way to deal with someone else's money is to dig a hole and bury it because... The legal code when Jesus told this story was such that if a person received a trust from another person and went off and dug a hole and hid it, if it ended up getting stolen, that guy wasn't to blame. And so here we see the most secure way to deal with someone else's money that can be done. It is to go and dig a hole and bury it. And that is a third way, that is, excuse me, a second way in this third servant of dealing with This situation in which a master trusts you with his property. And here, the outcome is certain, right? For one, there's no chance that this servant can be blamed for loss. So the outcome is guaranteed. He will not ever lose anything himself. And then there's also another guarantee. And do you see what that guarantee is? there is a guarantee that there will be no return. He can't make anything. He can't gain anything at all. Now, Jesus is painting these two different ways because he wants to show two different ways of being a follower of his. And he's doing it at this point in his ministry for a very definite reason. Please remember, right? It's Matthew 25, Jesus, this is his last block of teaching. This and the one more story, which we talked about last week. Before he becomes the master who goes away, he's going to die and he's gonna be away in effect. Uh, And what he knows is that everything will come down to what these disciples of his choose to do with the resources that he has put in their hands. Everything comes down to that. On the one hand, they can choose to take the message, the truth, the way that Jesus has shown them. They can choose to take that truth and go out into the world, into the marketplace where there's all kinds of risks and challenges and they can be honest about their belief and their faith in him and go out and share this good news out in the world. That's one way. That's what the first two disciples in Jesus' story do. They can do that. Or they can be aware of how threatening the world is, how few people will be convinced that Jesus was anything good because after all, he ended up dying on a cross. And they can be afraid of all of the diversity around them and all of the opinions that won't agree with their opinions. And they can retreat all by themselves and go dig a hole and bury their treasure in it. They can do either one of those two things. And what Jesus wants for them to know at the end of this teaching ministry of his is there is a promise of a kind of outcome, depending on which way they go. If they bury what he's given them and dig a hole in the ground, they're not gonna lose anything, but nothing at all will be gained for Jesus' kingdom. And that's a guarantee. And the reason Jesus was emphatic about this at this point is historians tell us that there were already religious communities when Jesus was teaching that had decided the best way to deal with the influx of all these other religious perspectives from Rome and from Greece all around them was to retreat and put up walls and hide away from the rest of the world and just protect what we have here in our own little religious enclave. And everyone else can just go sit on a tack, but they didn't say that. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's one way that religious communities already in Jesus' day were dealing with the reality of the world. And the truth for us is that we can do that. We can say, let's just be who we are here with each other. The rest of the world, what a mess. Let's just put up really high walls. Because after all, if we go out there, who knows what's going to happen and probably we're going to make some risks and it's not going to work anyway. So look, let's just, let's dig a hole and put it in here. That's one way. But then the other way is to say, yeah, it's terrifying out there in the market." Uh, We've got a lot to work with and if we put it to work, well, we don't know what's gonna happen. We know for sure it's gonna be a risk and who knows, maybe we'll put it in the wrong way and take the wrong kinds of risk and lose everything. But you know what? These first two servants are Jesus' picture of what he wants from every single one of you and from me and from all of us together and from whichever church you've had your most time in. What God wants from communities of faith is to be like those first two servants to go out into the world, not away from, but out into the world and take risks for his business, for his kingdom to put it all on the line and watch what happens. And you saw what happened, right? 100% return on investment. Can you tell that I get excited about Jesus stories I do I had a friend who'd never heard hardly any of Jesus stories she was in finance and I thought I'm gonna tell her this one. Oh, oh it'll be so great she'll love it and I started to tell her about this oh yeah Jesus talked about like finance things I started telling her the story I got done telling her about servant one two and three and she had this kind of bored look on her face and I said what do you think and she said well it's, a, it's an unrealistic story. It could have been made way better. In my mind, I'm like, you are going to improve on Jesus' story? What are you talking about? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, there are three different investors. There should have been three different outcomes. Right? The second guy should have lost it all. That would have made it a way better story. <laughs> and at first I thought, yeah, I can't argue with that. But then, listen, it struck me later on that maybe there is a very intentional message from Jesus in the fact that he made the outcome for the first two exactly the same. Uh, Maybe the message is, if any individual who's been gifted by God goes out into the world with reckless abandon and puts it all on the line, there's only one outcome. If any church is willing to stop being so close-minded and turned in on itself and only concerned about us first and forget the rest of the world if any church is willing to go out there and say look this is what god has not given us to hoard and hold on to for ourselves but to throw into the market for his business there's only one outcome that can be anticipated only one outcome ever it's always going to be a hundred percent return if you put what god has given you on the line you should expect a hundred percent return maybe that's what jesus wanted to say isn't that great now listen some of you will say look i was in a church we put it all on the line we lost it all maybe that's a win for the kingdom. Have you ever thought of that? Maybe what we think of as a loss sometimes for God is a win. Yeah, maybe you've got everything, you gather it together, you take a risk, it doesn't work like you'd hoped, and you think, oh, it's a failure. If you did it for God and for his kingdom, it is always a win. Even our losses become wins. And what we need is what we need. Here are these two things we need. You ready? We need to know that what God expects of us is to be hard at work with every single thing he's trusted us with. We need to know that. That We need to understand that. That that's what he expects of us. And then we need to believe and trust that if we're willing to put it on the line for God, we can only win. And not for us, but for his kingdom. And what he wants from this church, I'm gonna talk directly about Renaissance Church, is for us to be ready to take all the things he's given us, all the talents, whether it's one talent or two talents or five talents, to take that and be ready to invest it in God's work in the world and then sit back and watch what God does with it and what he wants from every single one of you, okay, whether you're a person of faith already, or you're somebody who's trying to figure out what God might want from you anyway, you must look at yourself and say, well, the person he's made me, the gifts he's given me, the talents that are mine, the abilities and skills that uniquely make me, I guess maybe I need to find a way to put those to work for good purposes in the world and then I'll find the life that God has for me. And I'm telling you, Jesus' pictures of God paint it just like that. That God is waiting for you to do that and me to do that and he's created us to do it. And this comes very clearly in in what happens next in Jesus' story. After showing this contrast between these two different ways, this is verse 19. This is after those servants did their work. Verse 19 reads, After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And this is Jesus' way of saying here toward the end of his ministry, there will be a day when each of you And every church and every gathering of Christians stands before God and what God will want to see then is what did you do with the things that I entrusted you with? And not so that God can decide whether you're good or bad and send you to a great place or an awful place. We need to get it out of our heads that that's all that God cares about but rather so that Jesus teaches us so that each one of us today, not at the very end of our lives, but right now in the life that you have in this instant, asks the question, am I using the great things that God has given me in such a way that I am meeting his expectations of me in this moment? And not so you're afraid, but so you are ready to embark on what is meant to be a great adventure, which is the adventure of finding the, the task that God has created you for, the way that he means to invite you into his work, into the world. And that is a task that is energizing and that always will be our task when we let the picture that God paint, uh, Jesus painted of what God is like shape our actions. Here, let's practice now in a very practical way, asking how do we put resources to work. And I wanna be very concrete here. I've got three simple categories to organize our reflections in a way that are meant to be real, okay? Not imaginary, not just church language here, but uh, but in a way that's meant to focus our thought so that we are ready to respond to Jesus' picture of God. He, The master has given us many resources, many talents. What are they and how will we use them? Let's start with the most obvious from this story and that is our possessions Uh, whether you see it or not you have many material things which you possess Uh, some of us will feel like we have hardly anything all of us in here have a lot more than most people in the world to, to, to deal with and let's start with the most obvious one because the the story that Jesus tells is about money let's think for a moment about the money that we possess money in itself is neither good nor bad everything comes down to what you do with it. Do you know that? And we all can see in the world around us that money can spoil a person's heart and turn it rotten and make, it, make that person into someone who has more and more power. And, and, and then since it never makes them happy inside, it turns them into a monster who destroys and consumes people around them. Do you know what I'm talking about? We see that, right? But do we also see the potential for good that is in every dollar that has been put in our hands? Now, some of us will think, wait, wait, the money wasn't put into my hands. I worked hard for every dollar I had. Yes, you did. And I'm glad that you worked hard. But this story wants us to see everything we possess, every dollar we have, the home that we live in, the apartment that we live in, if that's all we've got, the cot that we sleep on, the car that we drive. If we don't have a car, our bicycle, or if we don't have a bicycle, a skateboard, all of those things are meant to be seen by us, not as our own, but God's trust. And the question is, How will we use them? Will we use them for his purposes in a way that builds up his kingdom or not? Let's talk about money for a moment. This is not just a challenge to every one of you. It is. It is a challenge. In Jesus' story, there'll be a day where God says, what did you do with all of the money that you had? It's also a challenge for every church. And what this means to challenge us to is to be conscious of how we use our money so that we're using it in a way that builds up God's kingdom. If all of us Christians would do this, the change in the world would be magnificent. And I mean that. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, Just yesterday, there was a group from Renaissance Church that went to Brooklyn to run a half marathon and they received support from others and all the money they raised will go to provide water for people in Africa who don't have enough water. Are there any runners or walkers in here right now who were there yesterday or are they all home sleeping? Awesome. There's a, Be proud, right? Yes. The group from Renaissance raised $19,000 from pledges. And then our church decided to match dollar for dollar everything that was given. So if you've ever given any money here at Renaissance Church and you put it in the box back there, 2% of that goes to giving away. And so we're matching that. That's $38,000. And World Vision builds water systems so that and they've calculated this out so that every $50 means clean drinking water for one person for the rest of their lives and so 760 people will have clean water for the rest of their lives who wouldn't have had it before because of that act yesterday and not just in our church but all i think uh I think it was maybe 40,000 people will be provided water because of what happened in Brooklyn yesterday because other churches like ours did that too. And what that represents is a use of possessions that will one day make God say what God says in his story to the servants who risked everything, which is well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. God loves it when we use our possessions like that. So here, pause for a moment and whatever you've got, Whatever it is, think for a moment. If this thing were God's, how would he use it in the world for his purposes? And then let Jesus' picture encourage you to use whatever you've got, whatever possession you have, in the way that you think God would use it if it were his. Would he use it to support the mission and ministry of this church? Then if so, give money here. Every week, give money at Renaissance Church. If God would use this home to bless the people uh, around me who are lonely so that they can come and sit around my table, then invite people over and have them to your dinner table because that's a possession that you have that God wants you to use for his purposes. If it would be that you would lend your car to someone else who needs it, do it. Don't lend them your skateboard. They will get hurt. But find a way to lend what you have and give. That's the first one. Here, the second thing that we have, all of us is time. Now, I know someone was thinking when I shared about possessions. Yes, I've got a lot of possessions, but the reason I have a lot of possessions is I spend all of my time at work, and so I have no time. I'm on the train at the summit station before anyone gets up, and I come home after everyone's asleep. And that's true for some of us. And you have just as many hours in your day as every single other human being who's ever lived on planet Earth has in their day. So no one's allowed to say, I don't have time. The question is, how are you using the time you've got? Okay, maybe you're meant every hour that you are at work to be a representative of Christ in front of all of those other people who are working too many hours. Be unusually gracious, be unusually kind, be Christ-like, be forgiving, be merciful, be compassionate. Just like we've been talking about in these weeks, you can still build God's kingdom every hour hour every moment if you're lonely and you want to find someone to be close to you go near them and be with them in the kind of friendship that builds christian community if you have a party invite more people into it and in that way use your time to grow god's kingdom here's the third thing that we have and i'm going from time to this third thing because i'm out of time it is that we all have our skills and abilities we have our talents And God wants you to use the unique you that he made you to be for his purposes. So if you're good at talking, talk to other people about God. If you think, I can't do that, well, the next series of messages that I'm gonna deliver are gonna be uh, designed to help us talk about the good things that God has done for us because the world needs to hear more about that. Okay, so you can't use that excuse after the next series, all right? (laughs) If you're good, at listening and not talking, then go be by someone who needs an open ear and listen, okay? Whatever you do with what you've got, do it in such a way that you can say, here's how I'm gonna use what God has given me. And then you will be the person who's living in such a way that Jesus' picture of God is shaping you. Are you good at making chili? (laughs) The chili cook-off? I'm serious. On November 5th, when we have that here, that will be a way our church expands God's kingdom by having fun and making really good food. You cannot make a chili that's as good as my mom's chili. And she's going to be in the competition, so you will lose. And it's not it's not because I'm going to tip the ballot. It's going to be a blind taste test. It's just because hers is that good. Right? But bring it. Bring your best and give it to God and listen now. There will always be a 100% return on every single investment that is made for God. And what God expects of us is to put it all out there so that his kingdom can grow and so that we can be the church that is shaped by the pictures of God that Jesus gives us. And here's what I want. I want to do it with you. I want to do that with you as your pastor and as your colleague, as your co-disciple next to you, shoulder and shoulder, arm in arm. Let's do this together. What do you say? Yes? Yes, let's pray. God, we love you and thank you for this time to be together for this Sunday and for the five weeks before us that we've got to, together to look at the pictures that you painted of, of, uh, of yourself in Jesus. Uh, that when you were with us as Jesus, God with us, that you decided to show us who you are through these vivid images. And we thank you that we can be a church all together that takes its clue for how to be in the world through these images that you've given. And what we want together is to be effective at being your people. God, give us everything we need to see the gifts you've given us and then to begin together to get busy serving you in the world with everything we've got. God, we love you and love that you've made us this way. Help us see uh, what you've given and use it for your ends. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.